0: Welcome to the Friendly Maples Lounge, the monthly podcast all about board games, new and old, weird and fun, and our thoughts and feelings about their playability. I'm your host, Jen Flores.
1: And I'm your host, Chris Ingold.
0: And given this is our first episode, we'd like to say, hey, welcome. Thank you so much for listening in. Obviously, this one's going to be slightly different to the rest of the episodes going forward. So we're going to tell you a little bit about ourselves, tell you a little bit about Melbourne Meeples, who Chris and I are a part of, and then we're going to get into our game. So Chris, why don't you start by telling us all about you?
1: Hey, so um, well, my name's Chris and I've been playing board games uh, as long as I can remember. Uh, so it grew up as a kid in the UK back in the 1980s. And so we were playing uh, lots of sort of games like uh, Lots of Valley of the Dinosaurs was a favourite one. Air Charter was a favourite one. Buccaneer, which is from the 1940s. There's a game called Taxi where you drove around London, basically past, uh, ferrying comedy characters around to comedy places and making up little stories yourself about what on earth they were up to. Um, and loads and loads and loads of fantastic games. Um, and then video games got good board games got rubbish for a bit and I kind of slipped <laughs> out of that and life life carried on um until probably around about sort of seven or eight years ago when I suddenly realized that board games were really 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 cool again um, and I've been collecting diving in going to conventions um having little goes at designing stuff ever since until I moved to Australia a couple of years ago and joined up with this fabulous lot um and it's brilliant because I seem to move to the one of the most board game obsessed cities I think I've ever encountered which is fantastic so um Jen tell me a bit about you
0: Well, hi everyone. I'm Jen. Um, I also I actually grew up on a farm, so a little bit different. But we did have some board games. Um, I I kind of grew up playing things like Monopoly and Rummikin, and just. Oh, what was that one that's got, like, the little... P- Mastermind, yeah, Mastermind, which is a very Wordle. old game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wordle. <laughs> Wordle before it was actually uh, on an app, on a phone. Um, but, no, this one this one was, like, literally just little pins, and somebody mm. had created their own little code at one end, and you had to guess with these little pins what colour code they'd created at the other. So, yeah, I guess it is kind of like Wordle, isn't it? But you had a lot more tries. I think you had something like 25 tries to get that one but you had yeah I'm tries and the
1: box the box had that kind of like this really really like smug looking old git and this yes. little kid who looked like he basically reached try 20 and was still like kind of frustrated
0: right <laughs> <laughs> it was really creepy cover art but it was a really oh. good game and I really loved it and um yeah like I also now live in Melbourne obviously being Melbourne maples uh, I grew up in South Australia I'm actually originally from England England, so I'm also a sneaky pom I know I don't sound like it Chris sounds a lot more English than I do and yeah I've huge family my my grandma actually ended up buying us rumicken for Christmas one year and rummeens this mixed game it's a bit of a mix between rumicub and um I remembered what one of the other ones was. You know, the one with the cards, Mahjong. Uh, the tiles, sorry, Mahjong. So it was like a mix of a whole bunch of different weird games. And all my relatives stopped playing with me because I used to always win and I was really competitive about it. So they, yeah, no one would play with me anymore. So I've... uh learned to be a little more chill about board games i'm still quite competitive at times but i just i love it and i guess when i moved to melbourne as well i had a friend take me along to cafe games which used to be held at the hawthorne hotel in richmond i don't actually think it's hawthorne at that point i actually think the hawthorne hotels in richmond um, which was run by the awesome Chris, who runs the big Melbourne board games meeple's uh, meetup group. So yeah, that was very fun. I met my husband there. I got introduced to this massive world of all these amazing, very cool, very different board games, and I've been hooked ever since. And I think. um between Chris and I, I think we've probably got, like, each of us have probably got about 250 games, mm-hmm. but we've, some of them overlap, but there's quite a few that don't. I reckon we've probably got probably about last, 400 between us
1: <laughs> i think i think so because last look at your shelf i was thinking there's going to be loads of overlaps and they're, they're, they're not. there's not even the ones that are in different boxes because you've got like the collector's edition boxes of things that i haven't and vice versa so there's a bit of a mix there but it's it's amazing I, there's just so many games coming out and obviously that makes it tough yeah. because you're not quite sure which ones to buy. Um, mine are all over the place. Jen's, your, your shelf is fantastic. Like Jen's got this amazing <laughs> kind of like games room with a brilliant table, wall, you know, ab- absolute sort of wall-to-wall shelf. Even though she's got hundreds of games, there's room on there. I have like shelves scattered everywhere. So there's like kind of like two galaxies in one room, two galaxies in another room, a hidden sneaky shelf on the side there. Uh, my family are like tripping up over stuff going, oh my God, I think I've just found another shelf of board games I've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm hidden it in the corner behind something, and then they notice, and then that—that's those moments get a little bit sticky, uh, especially when my son's looking for somewhere to put his Lego collection. So, um, so it's it's challenging, but it's fun. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah,
0: oh, it's me. Fun. <laughs> Did I actually end up muting myself then?
1: <laughs> I have no idea. But if not, that was the first sneeze of the pod.
0: Well, there we go. Podcast sneezes. We'll just we'll go with it. <laughs> But no, I think um, definitely there's, we actually need more shelves at this point because we have so many board games that even our extremely beautifully organised shelves, um, we actually have four big crates set aside of games for when we take them to Board in the West, and we'll tell you all about Board in the West shortly. Our, Our shelves are almost full without those games on there, so... Yeah. <laughs> there there comes a point where one has more board games than you can actually play, but do not let that discourage you from collecting. Go ahead and collect our friends. We are not here to discourage you from your board game addiction, that's for sure.
1: Anna, we said we were going to talk about Melbourne Meeples, so here is a word from our sponsor. <laughs> Jen and I are both members of the Melbourne Meeple's team. So here's a quick shout out to our listeners here in the Melbourne area to let you know what's coming up over the next couple of months.
0: Melbourne Meeple's is a non-for-profit group set up over 10 years ago to help make board gaming more accessible to our community by running game days, conventions and other events across our fair city.
1: Our big news for April 23 is that Oz BunnyCon, our Eastern Suburbs Easter convention, is back again at the Glen Waverley Bowls Club this holiday.
0: Four days of board gaming with our amazing library from Good Friday all through to Easter Monday with the odd break for chocolate thrown in. Yay, chocolate!
1: We've got our regular Northern Gaming meetups too, with Northern Suburbs Gamers at the Croxton Hotel in Thornbury every second Sunday, and on the in-between weeks, there is Audacious Games every other Saturday at the Audacious Monk Cellars in Preston.
0: Out West, our popular monthly Board in the West event is on the first Friday of every month. The next one's in May, as for Easter weekend, we're all going to be down in Glen Waverley for BunnyCon.
1: Phew, that was a lot. Don't worry, check our website, Facebook page, or meetup.com for more details. And if you want OzbunnyCon tickets, be quick, as it will sell out.
0: News still to come about an exciting and different event coming in May. And of course, MeepleCon's 10th anniversary later in the year.
1: Thanks for listening, and back to the podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to that word from our sponsors. <laughs> what Uh, game are we yeah us (laughs) so a little bit more about what we want to achieve with this podcast um we have noticed that as melbourne maples we have a lot of people that come along to our events who are neurodiverse have a disability or who consider themselves in some way to be a little bit different from the rest of society so we really want to make board games open and friendly and awesome for everybody so we're not really just going to be reviewing games we are going to review some games obviously we want to tell you about what our favorite games are and what's so great about them but we're also going to give you a bit of insight as to how those games look for people who are neurodiverse or maybe have a disability so in future we are going to have some guests on who can give us a bit more insight into that and To give you a bit of background, I have ADHD myself. Um, My husband has both ADHD and autism. So he's going to be on the podcast sometimes with us as well. But yeah, we just want you to know that this is not just your typical, hey, you know, this is what this game is like. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into some other stuff too.
1: And I think the community side of it is so important to us at Melbourne Meeples as well because our, our mission is so rooted in trying to make sure that we can sort of open up games for everyone. Uh, we want to make sure that we can make everything as accessible as possible. And That is, you know, that's obviously accessible to all the, um, to, to anyone who has sort of different needs from an event, who has sort of different levels of confidence in coming to an event. But that's everybody because everyone comes, you know, to the table with a different set of experiences, both good and bad and so on. Um, one I- example that came to mind we we're talking about first board game events earlier jen though it's worth mentioning the uh my um one of the first regular groups i went to back in the uk when i started getting into gaming it was fantastic i've met some brilliant people there uh, we used to have an absolute laugh but there was a bit of an initiation ceremony because the group had been going for decades and it was run by an 80 year old guy who liked power grid a lot there was a collection in the back room that had the library and the library was 50 percent power grid and power grid expansions and 50 percent everything else with the power grid expansions put in pride of place And if you came along and were a new member the first thing that would happen is that this guy who who was i was about to say his name but i won't i'll say mr h like mr h would drag you enthusiastically to his table and say you know it's time to uh, we'll introduce power grid do you know power grid come and play power grid with us and it'd be all sweetness and pie he would then sit there around the table and proceed to annihilate you at power grid savagely and brutally and without any sort of like a sort of fallback ever sort of like giving you a little chance ever giving you a hint if he did give you a hint it was usually a bad one to throw you off the scent and if he was ever caught potentially slightly slipping slightly slipping behind he would start swearing like a pig. And this guy was 80 years old. And there's always that thing when you see someone of a certain age who is really foul-mouthed. And when you come in here, it's like, look I'm terrified. So I got out the other end of this thing after having been savagely beaten at Power Grid and someone else comes along to the side saying, hey, do you want to play something after? You've had your initiation. Um, it's all right. And then I discovered the rest of the group and I didn't have to play Power Grid there again. I really like Power Grid. It was a good initiation to it. It's a fantastic game. Um, and uh, Melbourne People's founder is a massive fan of Power Grid and, it is a, and, and often sells it to people in a much friendlier way. Um, but it's uh, but I didn't play it again in that in that uh, particular venue. I, kept <laughs> I it don't a blame home game you. After that.
0: <laughs> we never want anyone to feel like that no. when they're coming mm. to a Melbourne Meeples mm. anything. We're really friendly. Mm. We're mm. always there for any questions. Mm. And, yeah, we we mm. just want to be super welcoming. Mm. So that's what this podcast is about. And, Chris, what game are we focusing on this this podcast?
1: Well, this podcast, we are going to have a look at, um, I'm going to try and think every, every podcast, have a look at a specific sort of game that's interesting. And given it's the first one, it makes sense to focus on um, a game that's made a bit of an impact and a bit of a splash. So there's been a nature themed game that has leapt out of nowhere to the 10 out of 10 ratings from some of the Dice Tower's most respected reviewers. You know, it's suddenly going to get sort of hype of hype after hype after hype is really really current everyone's really excited about it um and that game is not here yet because it's called earth it's still waiting to come (laughs) through its kickstarter um release period um my copy is landing at some point in april i think because i've uh, pre-ordered it from store having missed the kickstarter but i know that i'll probably then get it a few days after the kickstarters fulfill um but last year there was a nature themed game that also leapt out of nowhere straight to the top of a dice tower reviewers um sort of like 10 out of 10 ratings, it went to his number one game, or Tom Vassel's number one game of all time. And that game was Art Nova. So the nature-themed games are taking over. We all knew that. Anyone who's been to a board game event knows that. Um, but we're going to have a bit of time to discuss Art Nova and why Art Nova is such a special game. Because that's the competition that Earth has got
0: pretty much yeah look from even myself i had a bit of a look at earth since last we were chatting about this it looks like an amazing game but ark nova is one that we've both played Um, in fact if you haven't played it yet i highly encourage you to have a go at this one because it's such a good game i'm sure you'll have seen the box around somewhere but let's tell you a bit about what Arknova is about. So it is essentially you are trying to build a zoo that incorporates a balance of lots of different animals. They need to be in the right type of enclosures. You have to look for sponsors to fund yourself. You have to build a team of associates to help that zoo keep going for you. What's really great is it's sort of it's got a very unique gameplay. So mm-hmm. It sort of has elements of a deck builder, but at the same time, there's not really any shuffling. It's just quite unique in how you play it. So, Chris, why don't you give us a bit more info about how you play Arc Nova? All
1: right. Art Nova, as Jen said, is all about building a zoo. And there's a few games that are about building a zoo, but Art Nova has another skew because it is about building a conservation zoo. The aim is that your zoo bob brings in loads of guests, uh, gets loads of appeal. You know, it's got all the kids running around with their little sort of like slushy cans staring at the giraffes and all of that stuff. Um, but at the same point, it's also looking after. Um, sort of rare species, helping to sort of breed new species, potentially even releasing some into the wild, because you can do that in Ark Nova, you can release your animals that so you've got in your zoo back into the wild for conservation points. And the um, so it's effectively a race, competitively, to build the best conservation zoo. And the way that you do this is you've actually got three different tracks in the middle of the board for Ark Nova that's, that's shared. One of them is measuring your appeal. So, what's your appeal to the public, to the, to, to those kids, and uh, you know, and and all the parents and the families, all the visitors? The other one is measuring your conservation ability, and that is kind of the the track that has weightier points associated to it. That's really where you, you're going to make a, a lot. And you've got a third track, which is for reputation, and a reputation track effectively acts a bit of an engine builder. The more distance you go at the reputation track, the more powerful you get. The race in Art Nova is to get your appeal points and your conservation points to cross because they're on a shared track and each counter, if you like, starts on either end of that track. When they meet in the middle, the game ends. And so, although it is possible to win the game on end game scoring points without being the person who uh, crosses that first, most likely the person who crosses that first is gonna win or they're certainly gonna be up top uh, and a contender for it. So you're all trying to get there as fast as you possibly can. But the way you do this is um, by taking sort of one of a series of actions And those actions relate to either collecting animals for your zoo. They can relate to sort of getting getting cards with sort of powers on them. They can relate to building enclosures in your zoo. And you have a map in front of you that allows you to build enclosures of different sides, some which are near water, some which, you know, will be specifically for sort of reptiles, like a reptile house or an apiary or so forth. Um, And um, you can get relationships with sponsors and play sponsor cards you can make association relationships that rely on you sort of like um, getting a link with the university or so forth for research projects so you've got all these different things that you can do and the way you select your action is you have five cards underneath your zoom app and the further to the right the card is the more powerful your action is the further to the left the weaker it is and every time you use the action it goes right back to the start so You can use your most powerful action every turn, but then you're going to have to use the different action every five turns and you'll just be rolling around. Or at some point, you're going to have to use an action quicker, but have it weaker. So you're going to say, well, hold on, do I want to try and get some kind of little cunning combo here? But I know I can't quite get that as powerful as I'd like it to. You can also upgrade some of these cards to a more powerful version of them, but you can't upgrade them all. And to upgrade them, you're going to have to pursue different strategies on the board. So even upgrading the note that you can, which I think is four out of five, you could do,
0: is yeah, not something you can do quickly. Yeah, maximum four mm. out of your five mm. cards mm. that you can upgrade, and I actually like that. I think it keeps the game mm-hmm. really even. And the cards that you've got in front of you are cards, which allows you to gain more new zoo cards. Build, which allows you to build enclosures animals, which allow you to accommodate animals in your zoo, association, which is to do with associate association workers carrying out different tasks for you, and sponsors to raise more money to get more things for your zoo, which is great. And I love the fact that it is so balanced in that you really have to work on a strategy. A lot of games similar to Ark Nova, I think, work on the same kind of premise in that you can't do everything. You know, everybody, when you, when you have those kind of, this is where I think it's got some elements that are a little bit like worker placement, but there's no workers you're actually really placing, but you can't do everything in the game. You really have to focus on what track am I going to follow and pursuing things along those tracks so that you can really build up as much as possible and I think I've seen a few people play the game really differently and everybody's got their different style and I think that's also one of the appeals of Ark Nova as well in that you can really play it in a way that is fun for you and the person next to you might be playing in a completely different way you know they might have something completely different about the game that they're focusing on.
1: Now, I remember the designer about Ark Nova has said a number of times um, on Board Game Geek when it first came out that there is strategy for almost any combination of cards and the way that Ark Nova really limits what you can do with it um, uh, is often the cards that are there because you have an absolutely massive pile of cards in Ark Nova. In that way, it's similar to another game, Terraforming Mars, which is, is you know does have quite a similar mechanism in places because all these cards are unique. Um, and... You'll have different ways of picking which cards are available to you. There's a track that you can pick from visibly. You can pick blind. But you're not necessarily always going to get the cards that you need. Sometimes you'll get very obscure combinations of cards. And so inevitably, there was a little bit of pushback when the game came out. From, uh, the master strategists in our gaming community who are, that's too lucky, too swingy. If I get a bad hand of cards, they could get a, card, a hand of cards, it's impossible. The designer uh, regularly came out and actually was was always argued very strongly that there was a strategy for almost any combination you can get and even outlined some of them. And actually, I think that's been why Ark Nova's been so successful and lauded and, and why it's so replayable That does change the game every time you play it. And there probably is a strategy for every set of cards. Some are harder to do. And that is true. So if you're a master strategist, you've really got nothing to complain about because quite frankly, you're you're probably able to deal with most of it. If you're coming to Ark Nova New and you've not played a lot of games, then it can be a little bit weighty. And yes, there is a point where you could get something that's a little bit luckier and easier to work with. Something that might be very powerful, but it, it takes a little bit more working out to know how to work with it. And that can be a challenge for new players.
0: Yeah, I I definitely think that Ark Nova, I would classify it as sort of an intermediate level game. So if you're trying to Mm -hmm. introduce somebody to board games, Ark Nova is not the place to start for for sure. It's Mm -hmm. definitely one that you probably want to have played a few strategy games before you play Ark Nova. Not because it's not a fun game; it's just a really weighty game to sort of introduce someone to. So we're going to have another episode at some point, all about introductory games and what, games that are really, really awesome and nice and easy, but still have a bit of different flair to for new players. But yeah, definitely, I wouldn't say it's sort of what's that big one called? The one that I hate? <laughs> the um, the planet one? Not 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 terra? I love terraforming Mars. Mm-hmm. The one that takes like eight hours to play,
1: Twilight Imperium.
0: That one, yeah. It's no Twilight it's Imperium. Very it's, it's no. It's much easier than Twilight Imperium, that's for sure. But yeah, definitely, Ark Nova is an intermediate level game.
1: Yeah. I. I, I still want to play Twilight Imperium at some point and I haven't yet but i'm I'm, I'm imagining Jen you're not necessarily up here like, uh, I'll
0: what, what play I'll really? play with you Chris <laughs> I will play with you but I would never ever again play with the people that I played it with the first time because they but you know that guy that Ooh. the power grid yeah I played with a table full of power grid people and every single one of them had played it many many times before and they basically had me there to basically used as a resource i guess like they didn't explain very well to me how to play the game and it just left this very sour taste in my mouth so that mm. i was like oh, i don't want to play that game ever again but i would you're play it with you chris because uh, i know you're fair yeah.
1: you're used to yeah no I, the, the thing about games like that and that's the opposite of um from art nova because obviously twilight imperium is it's an flash game at, at heart I and mean, by to use the geeky term, that basically means it's a lot of luck, a lot of sort of dice rolling, a lot of negotiation, a lot of politics, a lot of table talk, which um, uh, and yeah, there's always that thing where, you know, kind of if you've got some experienced players, they go, right, you're that little island in the middle of the ocean between these two giant superpowers except in outer space obviously and so we're just going to play tennis with you i guess that's the thing isn't it use yeah you absolutely kind of like get, ugh, right you don't do that in arc nova you don't no. get that. and something that's great about ark nova and i think the reason why we're sort of umming as to oh is it an intermediate game is it a harder game is that it's a game that makes sense so it does yeah. have an awful lot going on but the stuff that's going on does make sense. If you do need to look something up in the rules guides, um, and there should be better player aids with it than there are, but the guides that exist are really clear. And if you think, ooh, here's an edge case they haven't thought of, they have. It's in that little yes. appendix thing. You can look it up in the list. And 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 they've been very, very, very precise. And when you get to them, they all make sense. Um, and I think that that makes such a difference, because sometimes there's that line between how complicated is a game, but then there's that line that says, if someone explains one of the things that's a bit complicated and you go oh i get it of course it is because we all can make sense of life so when something's true to life then then it's easier to understand Um Absolutely. so i know it's fantastic like that um, it really really is and it does have it does have a few a few issues
0: well let's Notably. talk about let's talk about the things that we think could be improved with Arc Nova. Mm. So I think for a start having a player guide would be good, but mm. there is a really good way that you can actually sort of do that already. There is a card that comes in the box, which is an icon, what do they call it the icon graph or...
1: Yeah I a, I need to get the box out with it and just have a have a look and see what it's called but it, there is a there's like a chart with all the icons on it
0: make a copy and, of um, that Yeah. If you make a copy of that chart and give a copy to everybody, I think that would definitely make it a much friendlier game, especially Mm -hmm. uh, for people who are neurodiverse. I know for myself, I like having one of the annoying things about ADHD is really horrible short-term memory. So being able to have something sitting there myself um, does make it a lot easier for me. And I love games with a player guide because I can quickly just refer back to it. I think a lot of people, especially if you are a bit newer to board games, having a player guide is really useful. Actually, that is something really good about the board is it does really show you quite clearly on the board what steps you should follow, except for the cards. It, it has a slot where your cards go, but it doesn't really tell you on the board what to do with them. So we've actually made a little map that you can print off and we'll attach it in the description for you so that you can download a copy of that. Simply print it off and then it tells you what to do with the cards that you're moving around. So the cards that you use to do your actions in the game, they always move to the left, but there's no indication of that on the actual board. What about yourself, Chris? What do you think are some other things that would make it a little bit friendlier?
1: Well, I don't sleeve my cards, so one of the challenges with Art Nova doesn't exist for me, uh, but it does exist for you, Jan, who who do do sleeve your cards, and I know obviously (laughs) you you have lots of people playing your games, which is Ark Nova has a big stack of cards, and it does sound like this big stack of cards is going to get even bigger with the expansion. Um, because uh, there is an expansion coming up for Ark Nova at some point this year. Uh, It may be, I don't know whether it'll be this year or next year in Australia. I don't know because um, various murmurs that it might come sort of later, um, sort of in in June, July, other murmurs of this that it might hit Essen. If it hits Essen, we have a habit of having to wait over here for some time the year after before it appears. But um, But the expansion is intended to add a whole load of additional cards with an aquatic theme. Um yes. so, uh, so it's like how how are we going to stack all this up or whether it's going to give us like a do we, do we, should we have a sort of a card tower or uh, can we find another slots to put some of these other cards on or do you just say you know what we're never going to get through the whole deck so let's just shuffle them all up and then leave half the deck in the box <laughs>
0: it, it's, it, it's a lot of cards <laughs> it is a lot and yeah look we do sleeve all of our cards because we take our cards to board in the west uh, sorry our games not our cards we take our games with us to board in the west so because we have a lot of people playing them all the time we want to make sure they last a bit longer the problem with that is that the cards do get very slippery when you sleeve them so the deck inevitably falls over several times during a game of Arknova. Nova so I think um, if you've got a 3D printer print yourself off a little a deck holder and that would definitely be really useful for this game I think it is something that it's useful for any game that's got a big stack of cards. Something Everdell actually thought of very well was that Under the Tree in Everdell, if you've ever played that, it's where your cards go. So it always keeps the massive stack of cards really mm-hmm. nicely in place for you. But yeah, definitely I think, I think some. Arc...
1: Yeah, Ark Nova needed more than one stack of cards. In the same way yeah. that <laughs> Wingspan, when you play Wingspan, although it's, if you then add all the expansions to Wingspan, the problem only comes back again. Because, yeah. know, it's but, but immediately with Wingspan, you have that principle that, you know, you've got the trays and so forth. You don't need one pile for the cards. So you can just have two. doesn't matter. Absolutely. And I think Ark Nova could have done with space for a, another one. The other thing that Ark Nova um, probably could do with a little bit of work on, and I don't know how widespread an issue this is, unfortunately, okay. is scientific accuracy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in particular, for anything Australian. And so we'd be remiss if we didn't point this out. So first caveat, Ark Nova has called a koala a bear, but has explicitly apologised for it in the rulebook and said they did this for gameplay reasons. Now, I know we've heard that one before from an Australian designer, no less, in a couple of cases, but um, but nonetheless, it's ugh, it's not a bear. But that's fine. It's, a not,
0: it's not a bear.
1: They're oh, massive. No, so it's not a bear. They're not a bear. Right. But um, perhaps more disturbingly... Um, there are a couple of Australian birds in Ark Nova. Um, one of them, the uh, the Laughing Kookaburra card. One of them, the um, Coconut Lorikeet card. And a Coconut Lorikeet is one of the different species of Rainbow Lorikeet, which all look very, very similar. And a Laughing Kookaburra is obviously one of our f- most famous birds, With the uh, which at least will, if you wake up early in the morning, you think, I am living somewhere with a massive colony of monkeys. And it's not a monkey, it's Kookaburra. So the problem is, is that the picture on the Laughing Kookaburra card is actually a blue-winged Kookaburra.
2: And lot mm-hmm. more subtly,
1: the picture on the coconut lorikeet card is actually a standard rainbow lorikeet, not a coconut lorikeet, because a coconut lorikeet has little black bits in its feathers. Now, looking on the internet, they've searched all these from Creative Commons images, and I think I found not the exact picture that was used for the rain- coconut lorikeet card, but I found one that's clearly the same bird in like another shot of the same bird, because I can see the same plant underneath it and so on. And there is one where it is clearly somewhere where the labeling is not necessarily exactly accurate. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: they've tried to be scientifically accurate, but with so many different creatures, actually researching and making sure they have got the exact correct species on the cards is tricky. And when they've made a point of sometimes trying to be extra scientific, and be more precise in terms of those species, which, you know, kind of they have, they've picked like subspecies or something instead of using the generic name to make sure they get it just right. When the picture isn't quite accurate, that is a little bit hard. Um, but I suspect it, it it's not too widespread, who knows, but they got a couple of the Australian ones wrong out of, I don't know, maybe sort of like 15, 16 Australian animals, even two is, is quite a big percentage. So I think what it means is that um, the, the designer, you know, Klaus, you need to come over to Australia. You need to pay penance for this by coming mm-hmm. to Melbourne Meeple's game events and Absolutely. signing your games and doing game teachers. <laughs> right? you, need to, you need to come along and bring a whole host of European designers all over to Australia. I'm sorry that you can't afford to get a Gen Con this year, but you came over here, you went to Pats, uh, you toured our great nation and you met loads of fabulous Australian gamers because we don't get enough enough of the European designers actually hitting our shores. Um, so, you know, Klaus, you can... You can all will be forgiven immediately. And if you bring some promo cards with an actual laughing book on them, uh, then we can all like take them away and, and all will be forgiven. Absolutely, so, so there, yes. The we... offers there will make you most welcome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I actually did find, um, you know how I said to you, I would find the one because one of the wallabies also, I'm pretty sure it's the card for the rock wallaby. Is not actually a rock wallaby. I think it's a patty melon. Ooh, and, look, and there's a rock wallaby in no. Ah. Yes, easy, easy mistake to make, Ooh. but one of the wallabies in there, um, a patty melon looks, a, they look like a wallaby. They genuinely do, and they are a type of marsupial, um, but they look a little bit different. And look, I think. Chris and I are very scientific people. I grew up um, looking after native Australian animals, so I'm sure nobody else noticed, honestly. Absolutely certain nobody else noticed. But for those of us that know these animals really, really well, we did notice that (laughs) they weren't quite the right pictures. So I'm sure that there are some overseas, like some of the overseas animals that we probably just don't know about that maybe aren't quite correct, but. I don't actually think those mistakes take away from the game at all. I think it makes it a little more fun for those of us who are a little bit hardcore about accuracy to go, oh, we found the mistake. And, you know, it gives us a little thrill to go through then and find out, well, what actually should it look like? So the fact that there is an expansion coming out. Um, The expansion is called Ark Nova Aquarius. And yeah, as Chris briefly touched on, it's all about aquatic animals being added to the game. Um, one of the other things, actually, I think is really great about this game when it comes to people who are neurodiverse or disabled is that everything is very easily labelled, especially for people who are colorblind. This game is very, very friendly for you because it doesn't rely on the colours. All of the symbols on everything are a little bit different. So... Definitely one that you can give a go no matter how complex of a game it is. Like I said, it's it's probably intermediate level complexity. It's still very, very friendly to play. It's got very good explanations as how to play things. So I don't think you'd have any problem with that. Another thing the expansion is actually adding is something called a breed registry. I'm really interested to see how the breed registry works in the game, because it is something that zoos actually do, is they will swap animals around to breed them, to keep endangered animals going, um, to make sure that they're not crossbreeding in ways that are detrimental. So I think that's an amazing thing to have added in.
1: It looks like The other thing that they've got, um, which I guess you can do in Art Nova, it's the thing that they weren't able to do with Everdell. And I know we'll probably come to Everdell in another session Um, because uh, we're the Friendly Meeple's Lounge podcast and this is meant to be a friendly and welcoming place. But at some point in the near future, just to keep things interesting, we will have the um, Chris says Everdell is better without the expansions. And then Jen, and, 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 and I'll say that when I'm at a fair distance on the other side of the podcast <laughs> mic so that Jen can't throw stuff at me. Um, she's got the entire Everdell collection edition, so that's a lot of ammunition. Yeah, kind of, mm-hmm. you, You're going to get hit by these five meeples if you, if, you, if you stand in the firing line. But Everdell can't and couldn't expand its card set. So the way Everdell works yeah. without going into that, cause we'll do that as another, is that if you expand it and you dilute the deck of cards by adding other cards in it, then to get some of those combinations you need to get the maximum points becomes impossible because they just might not come up in the deck. And that ruins your game. So Art Nova doesn't strictly have that problem, but there's still a little bit of that because if they try and bring in loads of additional powers, then you think, well, you've got that same thing that you might be waiting for one of a set of cards to come up. So what they've done with Art Nova in the expansion is that the new cards are gonna have what they're calling, I can't know what they call it, I, I wanna say a flush I had this in my head what this was called and i don't think it's flush because that's a little bit too toilety but there is a kind of a wave mechanism where the idea that an aquatic card will wash away a bunch of the cards that are in the open selection for you so if you pick one of the expansion cards up it'll shove some of the other cards down quicker and that means that you're going through the deck faster so in this case actually adding the expansion to it will mean that you see probably more cards not less cards throughout the game, which will then reduce that factor of, oh my God, I'm just stuck with these cards. You know, I can't think of a strategy for them because you'll actually have more choice available to you as long as you're quick enough to get in and and, and get the cards that you want to do. And I suspect that's going to make things like your position on that reputation track that affects, you know, which cards you're allowed to pick all of those sorts of things are going to become more critical as you get into the expansion. But that, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um,
0: and I think that... I'm looking forward to that
1: mm-hmm,
0: yeah. a lot. I think that's going to be good. And a uh, little secret just between you and I, I haven't actually played all the expansions of Everdell yet. <laughs> Do I-, I know, I'm a horrible Everdell lover but I have not had time and you need to find a very special sort of people to play that bigger game of Everdell. Mm-hmm. So that might be whipped out at BunnyCon and I think that's going to be dedicated as an entire day for me at BunnyCon is trying to get through Everdell with every single expansion in there.
1: That, might be, that, would, that is also going to take two tables stuck together. Because I, I, I have a, <laughs> a, a thing that I, I, I lust after the idea of a board game table. At some point, one of those beautiful ones with felt tops and cup holders and everything. Um, we have to find the right house where we can fit the space for it. And my wife's assured me that at some point it'll be my turn, I can get one. But you look at the sizes of them and I, I have a description for when I finally can buy a board game table. they say, how big do you want it? And I'll say, I want it so I can play Vindication with all the expansions. And Vindication does not have as much as Everdell. Um, it just has oh designers who clearly must have a massive table because all the bits are unnecessarily large um uh, so so it takes up a lot of space and it, at the moment it requires floor space even with our big table if you want to put the rest of the bits out but i've played everdell with what was all the expansions in 2020 which obviously isn't quite mm. all of them um and that was a that was a three and a half hour game at a convention and it involves shoving a couple of tables together and a little bit of a, a jiggery poker even then because it kind of expands out In a sort of like, it wants this big square table or big round table, and at conventions you always get long, thin, rectangular ones. Um, If you've ever been mm, to tabletop
0: mm. games, they've got a really awesome D and D room with this massive, amazing gaming table with a whiteboard in the middle, which I love. We reserved that room for six hours one day playing Everdell with all of the expansions with some people who'd never played it before. And even then, having all of the expansions attached at that point, it took up a majority of that mm-hmm. giant table and that table can fit 10 people around it comfortably. So it's even bigger. Like the table that Rod and I have is 1.2 by 2.4 metres. It's absolutely huge. Um yeah, look, Ark Nova's not that big. No, <laughs> the good thing is Ark Nova you'll fit on a normal size table, so even though it is a big game, you're not going to have any issues there. But look, I think we really really love Ark Nova. I definitely would recommend give it a go if you haven't played it yet and you like board games. You've played something like Viticulture, Agricola. <laughs> I'm not going to call it agricola ever again and get smacked for it. Don't hurt me, Karen. I love you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But... If you like those kind of games, um, if you're teaching new people and you're willing to be patient with them, definitely it can be a little bit overwhelming the first time you play it. But once you've played it once, it probably takes two or three turns to get into it. You'll love it as much as we do, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a phenomenal, phenomenal game, and it does it does fit on a decent sized table. I, I do I do have to come. Up, it's a bit of a diversion on that, but having moved from the UK recently. Um, one thing we were conscious of and, and actually moving to, to, to Melbourne with so many sort of apartments and small houses after a while you realise that there's, uh, it's not an English thing to have a lack of space but in England you've got Sort of 60 million people in what's a very small island the size of victoria and so table space room space isn't that great and one of the things that we used to regularly remember was oh here's come these american designers designing for these enormous tables and we'd come in and work out how do we squeeze these games on and a lot of our sort of gaming friends and so on we'd have amazing creative setups in tiny sort of houses, tiny front rooms. Like literally, you know, we've a little side table here. We've got a chair here that's going to have all the supply stuff on it. A couple of stools, you know, kind of something <laughs> hanging from the ceiling. We like those double-decker things, you know, where someone has like a table mounted on the table. So you put your player boards underneath and the board's up top and you have to stand up to stick something on top of it. Um, it's, you know, it, so it's been, it's brilliant having like, a I think, a little bit more space. But again, not everyone has yeah. space. And I think one of the things that um, designers can do and it's a tricky one because you want your game to have great table presence but respecting the amount of physical space that people have to play um opens up your games to, to people who are you know, maybe just don't have that big a room to be able to put it in
0: absolutely and,
1: yeah, so it's uh, so that's something which yeah, Ark Nova does well on because you can fit it in even those player boards and the maps um there are um i'm I'm fairly certain Jamie Stegmaier must have a, uh, from Stonemaier Games, designer of Scythe, Tapestry, and so on. Um, he's normally quite respectful of these sorts of things, but I'm fairly sure that he has either a square or a round table, partly because I know that he almost always designs his game for five players because his original like, gaming group or whatever was four is five, and that's kind of a good round table number. But because his games have a habit of stretching out to be work just right when you're on a square table and be just that little bit too thick if you're on a standard rectangular table and it's just like that, that little bit where your board is hanging over by like a couple of centimeters off the edge of the table with little components like tapestry balanced on it and you know that all you've got to do is accidentally put your hand down in a wrong place and you're going to get all your components in your face with like a little
2: <laughs> <laughs> and
1: that's like so it, it just maybe it keeps you very 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 careful um but yeah
0: absolutely yeah, um, no i think this is one of the reasons i quite enjoy european games because a lot of euro mm-hmm. designers do build for much smaller spaces that's mm-hmm. for sure yeah
1: now that that is that is true and, and it makes i mean, it makes a really really big difference when you sort of make good use of space but um because table impact isn't all about size um but it's, some of the boxes as well uh, are just absolutely huge Uh, What do you think, Jen, about the expansion of big box sizes? Is it getting ridiculous?
0: I think, it, I, I think that it's getting to a point where they're sort of just trying to compete with each other for box size because, I mean, we've got a few big box games. We've got, obviously, Everdell. The box on that is enormous. Gloomhaven, the box on that is enormous. Um, I knew the, the new Wingspan box to cover everything is enormous. Mm. We've got Frostpunk. Again, huge. Just those four games alone take up two entire shelves. And we don't have Calax shelves, we've got the big Ivar shelves from IKEA. To give you an idea of how big mine and Rod's shelves are, our game room is six meters long by five meters wide, and it takes up pretty much the entire six meter long wall. And yeah, they're just. I, I feel like it's it's great to have big games. It's great to have proper storage. I really would love a lot of game designers to stop competing for the biggest box and just mm-hmm. start competing for the best playable game. And I think
1: I think they have, um, but unfortunately, because that's. Um, that started now, interestingly, because there used to be a big push to say, how many boxes can you put in? Because Kickstarter, you know, people wanted to bid stuff on Kickstarter and got excited when they got um, sort of 20 boxes through. But one thing and probably another topic for a later podcast is um, for those of you that sort of regularly do sort of back games on Kickstarter, the games companies that were doing that have been stung terribly and it's, it's actually kind of, it, it, in some ways, there's a bit of, ah, this will teach you. But actually, it's a, ah, I hope you're okay. Because some of the bigger game companies that have been producing fantastic content, but they've been producing in these big boxes of miniatures, seven or eight boxes in one package, a box as big as you are that you have to kind of haul in and the delivery driver's cursing you forever and like trying to get off your route so they never have to deliver you again. Those kind of boxes <laughs> are now costing so much more than often they budgeted oh, for. So much. Them. The, and they were so popular because they got so many purchases. Because every single sale of that game, every backer ends up costing them money on delivery. Some of those companies are either going out of business or going close to going out of business and have, struggling really, really hard. Um, and they're taking a lot of flack in the process. And, and one thing that um, I'm really conscious of is, is that a lot of those companies are still struggling. They've done everything with the best Mm. intentions and actually what they're at is trying to make the best possible game. But what we're finding is that a lot of those smaller developers, the little indies who were making those smaller games have actually managed to do that. So um, I was talking to a um, local publisher so Guff Games local publisher they've got a game that was kick-sided last year called Floating Floors um, which is a little ninja balancing game um, if you like where well, you're balancing this little ninja on oh, I little love cards that and so it, 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 It's a phenomenal phenomenal game and um, I was playing it at PAX and one of the things that Carl one of the uh, one, one of, sort of the um, works for Guff that's one of the publishers and is also a designer in his own right um, Carl was saying that they've shrunk the box and um, basically to make it kind of cheaper to ship. Um, and because uh, we were discussing sort of box sizes, and that is actually a win-win because when you get the game home, it takes up less space in your house, right? Um, so you can have but, more yeah, games. Yeah, more games. The challenge has been <laughs> the shop presence. But when you've got so many games in such big boxes, actually the shop presence disappears too because you just look at it and it's like a big shelf. And to be honest, if you let's see like 20 games in a row on a massive shelf in a shop, that are all in giant boxes, they blur into each other as much as anything else does. So that shot oh, presence absolutely. is also sort of lost. So I think that having smaller games comes is getting there. Yeah, you know, getting sharper. Having a big box that isn't bigger than all the small boxes put together is that's that's a good tip, designers. Your big box is meant to make it easier to hold everything, not more difficult to hold everything. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there awesome, is one right? exception. <laughs> one exception I will give to this. No more mm. big boxes. I want the giant version of Takenoko. Oh. I want it so bad. It's That's... so cute. I just I've been banned from buying it. There's two reasons Rod and I have we've stopped Kickstarting games and we've paused buying <laughs> new games. Because number one, we don't have enough shelf space number two kickstarter all the all the game designs going out now are telling you you have to then pay for shipping afterwards and then the cost of shipping can sometimes be more than the actual mm-hmm. game which is ridiculous and we're trying to buy a house so mm-hmm. definitely if you are going to kickstart any games just check whether or not you are paying for postage or whether it's included and I do think I agree with you, Chris, it's a really good lesson mm-hmm. for game designers to be going, hey, you know, you've got to make this affordable for people as well. Because not all people mm-hmm. playing board games have a really solid income. A lot of the time, people who love this stuff are on a slightly lower income. So it, I think we're a little bit left out here in Australia as well. And anything to ship to Australia is generally going to be a lot more expensive or this could be a really good incentive to buy a lot of local games we've got some really amazing local designers we are going to work to get some designers on here for you so that we can talk to them about their games how they're designing them what kind of feedback they look for as well so look forward to that in the future for sure
1: yeah, I think that buying buy more sort of local designs is, is huge. And obviously they've got a ship from China as well, but they are often uh, sort of smaller games. It gives a chance to really sort of try stuff out that's, uh, that's been made in, within sort of the Australian market and Australian industry. And you can often buy more games and fit them into less space if you're not buying like seven or eight boxes of the same game. Um, I think the other thing, Jen, is that the, there's the process by which they're putting out a game and then all the expansions at the same time. Whereas typically you put out a game, people play it. If the game succeeds and takes off, then you put an expansion out, learning about the game. And but right, yeah, no, but... I
0: agree. Like, there's a lot of a lot of designers now putting out the game and the expansion at the same time. Mm-hmm. I prefer it when it comes out as here's the base game, play that, get mm-hmm. to know it, and then we'll send the expansion mm-hmm. later.
1: Yeah. And the best thing sometimes is when you actually get to that point, you put the expansion out, and then you can resell a base game that people know is, you know, no cuts the mustard. And actually, a good tip is that if a game does well, if it is successful, then as long as the company survives sort of the shipping fun and games, which hopefully they will now because the, the, the costs are more predictable, the um, the you can always wait for the next Kickstarter. And then if an expansion comes out, it'll come out again on crowdfunding, or you'll be able to get it in the stores. Uh, usually these things come back so
2: Absolutely. there's always a way of being able
1: to to, 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 to sense check what you buy and, and make a choice and, and know whether something's worth buying or not um but we're all we're all guilty of buying the, the nice shiny <laughs> thing every now and again so uh,
0: every
1: now and then <laughs> right
0: um, i was gonna say and now we have a shout out for you from one of our local game stores Hey everyone, so for our shout out today, we are here with the gorgeous Kristen from Turn Order Games. Hi there, Kristen, how are you going? I'm good, how are you? Very good, thank you. So we'll get to some info about Turn Order Games shortly, but before we do, what's your favorite game?
2: Ooh, I, it's a toss up right now. I have two favorite games. One is Azul Queen's Garden. Uh, which is what I play when I have less than an hour to game. Uh, And the other one is Ark Nova, where you get to build a zoo, but that takes a little bit longer. So it sort of depends on how much time I have to game today.
0: Well, hey, that's really good because Ark Nova is the episode that we're going to be talking about today. So, yeah, (laughs) one of our favorite games as well. (laughs) And for something a little quirky, what's your favorite household item?
2: Um, Do cats count as a favorite household item? I have to say that my cats are maybe my favorite household item uh, and they bring endless amounts of joy and hilarity. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a really good answer. I think my cats are probably my favorite household item as well. And tell us a little bit more about your store.
2: Yeah, so we are opening a game store in Noble Park North. Uh, We have... Um, some space for card games. We have space for people to play board games and we've got even a whiteboard table for people to play D&D and and draw their maps on. Um, We're interested in building some communities so we'll be selling board games that we're interested in and um, things like Magic and Digimon and One Piece Uh, and we'll also have all kinds of D&D stuff for people who want to give that a go. Um, And we are... We're opening very soon, so we're very excited. We're just stocking our shelves right now and getting ready to, to open our doors for all of you to join us.
0: Fantastic. And hey, Melbourne Maples members, stay tuned. We are gonna have some lovely arrangements with Turn Order Games for you. And where can we find
2: you? That's an excellent question. You can find us at 15B, B isn't Baby. Eleanor Road. Uh, It's in Noble Park North and we're just off of the Prince's Highway, so quite convenient to get to.
0: Fantastic. And obviously, we'll have all the social information, website links, when the website goes live in the description below. Thank you so much for your time today, Kristen, and we'll see you soon at Turn Order Games.
2: Thank you so much. Have a great one.
1: Okay, so that's coming toward the end of our podcast this month. I think the next... um, so we are planning to take a look at, well, I don't know whether we call it a game or whether we call it a family of games, um, but we're going to go clanking. Oh, clank. yeah, yes. I mean, clanking. <laughs> so it's just to give you a bit of a, a, a pricey. Um, there's a whole bunch of clank games. You may or may not be aware of clank games. You may have played lots of clank. Um, Jen and I are both big clank fans, but Absolutely. I think with one overlap, I have all the clank games that Jen doesn't have, and Jen has all the clank games I don't have. Yeah. So we're going to have a bit we of a time to do a swap at some point. Sorry, yeah.
0: Thank you so much for listening to our first podcast. We are so excited to be doing this. I'm sure we'll get much better at this as we go. So we would love to hear your feedback. All of our information is going to be in the link below. So you can find us at www.meaples.org.au. We have a Facebook group under Melbourne Meeple's. Our email address is meeplecon at gmail.com. And, yeah, please come back. Let us know what you think. And we'd love to hear from you.
1: Absolutely. It's been brilliant being here. We'll be back very, very, very soon. Right. Enjoy Take the care, rest everyone. of
0: your day. Happy Bye. gaming. <laughs>